In this series, we're going to study a lot of what Paul says to Philemon regarding the status of his runaway slave Onesimus. But today, I want to take a few minutes to focus on what Paul doesn't say in his letter. As you hear or read this letter, you might ask the question, why doesn't Paul instruct Philemon to give Onesimus the slave his freedom? Instead of returning Onesimus to Philemon's household so that he can be a happy, compliant, and useful servant, why doesn't Paul use his authority as an apostle to order Philemon to emancipate Onesimus? I mean, slavery is an awful, despicable institution, and now here's Paul's chance to help Onesimus and to take a stand against something that the whole Roman Empire seemed to think was an acceptable practice. Why doesn't Paul do more? It doesn't seem, when you read this letter, like the evils of slavery were much of a concern to the Apostle Paul. In another letter that Paul writes to Philemon's church uh, in Colossae, Paul says two things that seem to be at odds with each other. In Colossians 3.11, he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That sounds good. That sounds like the language of elevating Roman slaves. But then a few lines later, in the same letter, he says, Slaves... Obey your earthly masters in everything, leaving us wondering, so in Christ there's no slave or free, but if you're a slave, then you have to stay a slave and you better obey your earthly master? That's a little off. Paul's words in scriptures like Philemon and Colossians have been used throughout history to defend and to justify slavery. This scene from the movie Harriet depicts the sad truth of how the Bible was used during the slaveholding times in America. I want y'all to hold on to some words from Colossians 3.22. Slaves, honor your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes are on you and the curry their favor, but do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Reverend Green, for those wise words. You folks enjoy your Sunday. Paul's views on slavery seem like a pretty big deal. Uh, when we read Philemon, we have to wrestle with this question. Why haven't Christians, and Paul included, cared more about this issue? We talked a little bit about slavery in the ancient world last week. We said that it was a common part of Roman society in Paul's day. Uh, a good definition of slavery to keep in mind in this discussion is a perceived inferior human under the total authority of another perceived superior human. And that perceived and false reality is established by power and authority for the sake of profit and publication of the owner's wealth. In the ancient world, an estimated 30% of the population was made up of slaves, and they were treated like you might expect a perceived superior person would treat a perceived inferior person. And while there are some differences between New World slavery in America and ancient slavery in the Roman Empire, Roman slavery was still the dignity-stripping practice of owning another person as property and using them for whatever you desired. I've heard people teach, and sometimes even in the church, people teach that slaves in ancient Rome were treated much more humanely than the African slaves that were brought over to the Americas. 
I've heard people say that being a slave in Paul's time was, was not that bad because the slave system was more like being hired as a nanny or being a beloved family butler in the household. And that sounds nice, but the historical evidence doesn't really support this. Roman slaves were still bought and sold as property. They were beaten. Slave families were ripped apart from each other. Slave owners routinely did unspeakable acts of abuse involving their male and their female slaves. Slaves had no rights whatsoever, and any freedoms or privileges or education that was given to them was done so just to keep them happy, just to keep them from running away. And we hear these kinds of things, and we have to wonder, how in the world did this go unchecked for so long? Well, much like New World slavery that we've studied in school, ancient Roman slavery was a key part of how society functioned. It was more of an economic issue than a moral issue. N.T. Wright says that slavery was the engine on which the Roman society ran. It was a common part of their culture. It was as common to them as automobiles are to our culture. Imagine trying to advocate in our world trying to get rid of all engine-powered vehicles. You could make a case for it. I mean, it's a moral issue too. Cars pollute the planet in a number of ways. Cars cause a lot, cause a lot of harm to people. In 2019, there were 40,000 car-related deaths and 4.4 million people were hospitalized just in the US alone from car crashes. So that's a good case. We should get rid of all the cars and everyone should just walk or ride their bike. Who's with me, eh? What do you think? Should we do this? That's about how well a crusade against slavery would have gone in the ancient world. In both cases, the response might have been, well, we see what you're saying, but we think the positives still far outweigh the negatives. Or people might say, yeah, but it doesn't work unless everybody does it, and everyone's not willing to do it, so sorry, I'm not in. So maybe one reason that Paul doesn't take on the whole system of slavery in Rome is that it wouldn't have yielded the results that we might want. But does that mean that Paul doesn't care at all? I don't think so. I think Paul just had a different strategy of fighting against slavery. Paul's target was not the massive system of Roman slavery. Paul's target was one guy. Paul's target was a wealthy slave owner named Philemon. And Paul helps Philemon apply his Christian faith in his own household, in his own context of owning slaves. Writing about Onesimus, the slave, Paul says this to Philemon. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul tells him, receive him back, but no longer as a slave, instead as a dear brother. Which, when you think about it, that's actually more work than if Philemon had just released him. If Paul ordered Philemon to set him free, he might have done so, and then he never would have had to think about Onesimus again. Philemon might have simply just replaced him by purchasing another slave. But instead, Paul prescribes a complete transformation of the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. Not slave and master anymore, but now brothers in Christ. And by the way, siblings is an image that Paul uses the most throughout the New Testament to describe Christians and the church. You can do a simple word search on your Bible app and see this for yourself. 
Sometimes Paul refers to Christians as friends. Sometimes he refers to them as co-workers or co-laborers. But brothers and sisters is Paul's go-to image for what being united in Christ looks like. For Paul, the church and the household are connected. That's why Christians are called brothers and sisters. That's why in Paul's letters, we often have what's called a household code, these new standards of relating to one another in Christ, children, parents, husbands, wives. And so yes, in Colossians 3, Paul does say, slaves, obey your masters, but not without also saying, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Just like he doesn't just say, wives, submit to your husbands, but he also says, husbands, you got to love your wives. He doesn't just say, children, obey your parents, and that's it. He says, parents, don't embitter your children. So here, just like we saw in Romans and Ephesians, this Christian love for one another has to be reciprocal. It has to go both ways, regardless of social status, or else it just doesn't work. The laws of the land can tell you what you are or aren't allowed to do. But one thing they can't do is make you love someone or treat them with respect or receive them as your very own family, which is what Paul is asking Philemon to do. I think it's only the Spirit of God transforming hearts that can make that happen. And Paul was counting on Philemon being open to the Spirit's work in his heart and also in his household. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Paul's expectation for the new slave-master dynamic in Philemon's household reminds me of the story of Oscar Schindler. Schindler was a businessman. He was a factory owner and a member of the Nazi party during World War II. And Schindler used his political connections to gain military contracts for manufacturing ammunition for the German army. And what began as hiring Jewish workers because they were a cheap labor force became an intentional effort to keep them safe during the Holocaust. When the Nazis came to clear out the ghettos of Krakow, Schindler moved his workers and their families to live in the factory itself. And Schindler even bribed Nazi guards with money and expensive gifts in order to keep the Jewish workers safe. And by the end of the war, Schindler saved the lives of over 1,200 Jewish people. So while the world around him was still living by a remarkably low standard, something beautiful and something transformational and life-giving was happening in Schindler's little factory in Poland. I think that's what Paul is calling Philemon to do as well. And sometimes that's how I feel. Sometimes I feel like there's these awful systems at work all around me and they're so big that I don't even know how to begin to oppose them or resist them. And I'm not saying it's me versus the world because I feel like I'm part of this system as well. At a heart level, as well as a practical level, I'm part of the brokenness of the system in ways that I don't even realize a lot of the time. And a lot of times I am not willing to admit. I ask myself sometimes, if I was Philemon's neighbor back then, Would owning slaves feel as natural to me as driving a car? If I was a slave owner in America in 1840, would I have used Philemon and Colossians to justify a system that benefited wealthy white people like me? And how about today? Which broken systems benefit me? Colonialism? How about sweatshops? Racism? Redlining? Modern-day slavery? It's estimated that there's a 
21 to 35 million slaves in the world, 1.2 million in the United States alone. And 30% of all slaves today are under the age of 18. What? What? I thought that was illegal. They're not supposed to be slaves anymore. As long as there is a perceived superior human exploiting another perceived inferior human for profit, it's going to continue. So maybe instead of asking the overwhelming question, how can I change the system? Ask the first part of that question. How can I change? Change starts with me. What do I do to honor my commitment to Christ? How should I live? Well, Paul answers that question for us in his letter to the Colossian church. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. So put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. Don't be proud. Be gentle and patient. Put up with one another. Forgive one another if you're holding something against someone. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all these good things, put on love. Love holds them all together perfectly as if they were one. Let the peace that Christ gives rule in your hearts. As parts of the body, you are appointed to live in peace and to be thankful. Let the message about Christ live among you like a rich treasure. Teach and correct one another wisely. Teach one another by singing psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with thanks in your hearts. Do everything you say or do in the name of the Lord Jesus, always giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. I can start there, and then I can preach what I practice and practice what I preach. And maybe the Philemons in my life, the people who think that I'm a voice worth listening to, maybe they will be changed by the gospel as well. Paul says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. But when he says that, it's not just a way of saying that the injustices and the broken systems of our society don't matter. I think some Christians hear these verses sometimes and think, yeah, yeah, you know, set your mind and your heart on things above. There's the world's crazy all around me, but don't worry about that. None of that matters. Just think about how clean and shiny and nice heaven is going to be. But that's not a good way of thinking about that. Remember, Philemon is not just theology, the act of thinking about God. It's theopraxis. How are we going to put those thoughts into practice in our daily lives? And when Christians get this right, it is a beautiful and transformational and life-giving thing. There are Christian writings from the first and second centuries showing that there were Christians who cared about slavery, and they raised money to free slaves. Another example, a common way to acquire a slave in the first century was to go to a trash heap and collect unwanted babies. Now you might hear that and go, what, why would there be unwanted babies in the trash heap? Well, this was a common practice. If you had too many kids and you didn't want the baby you had, or if you had a girl instead of a boy, sadly, tragically, people would just leave their babies out to be exposed and they would die. And slave traders would go scoop those babies up and raise them until they were old enough to sell them or to use them as slaves. But Christians came along and they said, we're going to do the same thing, but with a twist. We're going to scoop up those babies, not so that they can be slaves, so that they can become family. And the early church had a reputation for going and finding those discarded, unwanted babies and raising them as their own children. 
In the early Americas, while many churches and Christians remained silent on the issue of slavery, several of those who led the abolitionist movement did so because of their Christian convictions. And this makes sense when you take Jesus seriously. After all, Jesus' public ministry began with him declaring, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And for us today, freeing prisoners can take on many different forms. There's lots of different ways this can happen. It could be sharing Christ with someone who lives without any hope and letting them know that their creator loves them and Jesus, their friend and their brother, died to save them. It could be helping free someone from a soul-draining habit or an addiction. It could be supporting an overwhelmed parent with childcare. It could be reaching out to an isolated friend or a neighbor. This is a big issue nowadays. Justin and I attended a, a webinar last week that identified loneliness as being a key problem that many people are facing right now. And loneliness is linked to multiple kinds of relational dysfunctions. So there's plenty of opportunity to reach out to lonely people and free people from the thing that's enslaving them. It also could be contributing money to helping organizations for people who need family, like Agape Villages or Compassion International, or to support groups dedicated to stopping human trafficking that still goes on in our world and in our midst today. It could be just educating yourself uh, on modern forms of slavery and injustice. And the list could go on and on and on. There's lots of things that you can do. But I really believe that it starts with your own heart. You have to train yourself not to see someone as inferior and yourself as superior. That's got to be rooted out first. It needs to be practiced in the church. We need to humble ourselves with acts of love and service so that we can treat one another like family. The classic hymn, This Is My Father's World, reminds us that God loves his creation. God is not distant or uncaring to the cries of his people, and his church shouldn't be either. And I'm always encouraged when I hear the third verse of this song that reminds us of this truth. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me not forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. I want to invite you to sing this song with me now as a reminder that we are God's agents of peace in this world, that we may have opportunities to free captives who are enslaved to all different sorts of things. And to remind ourselves, we have been freed because of Jesus. We once were lost, but now we are found in Christ. And we need to extend that same freedom to others, free to know God and to love God and to sing his praises like we're going to do now. Let's sing this together. This is my Father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings And round me rings The music of the spheres This is my Father's world This is my father's world.
I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems of so strong, God is the Let